In 2010, when I finished writing my first book, Stitch by Stitch, I sat down to add in all the little extras, um, you know, the introduction and the dedication and things like that. I thought long and hard, uh, I really searched my gut and wanted to create a dedication that was fitting of the word dedication, like a, a brief note that gives credit to the individual or individuals most responsible for the book coming into the world. I wanted to dedicate my first book as a way of thanking someone for giving me the inspiration and the support, the incentive to go through the long nights and the deadlines and the ripping out seams and totally trashing entire projects and starting again from scratch. My husband was the obvious choice because he put up with night after night of me coming to bed long after he had dozed off. He made sympathetic faces when I complained about the tension settings on my machine, when I hunted for the perfect needle, or I asked his opinion on fabric combinations for the thousandth time. Um, very convincing sympathetic faces. How he supported and loved me while I was working on that project is something I have never received from someone else. However, and this is a big however, right? Because that's obviously an enormous gift to get from your spouse, from your one person on the planet. But there was another name that I could not shake. Someone who I truly felt deserved some of the credit for putting me in a place where I was even able to be offered the opportunity to write a book in the first place, which is one of my childhood dreams. And her name is Sandra. <laughs> On this episode of the Whipstitch Podcast, you're going to meet Sandra, without whom nothing at Whipstitch would have ever happened. Welcome to Whipstitch, the podcast for thinking about sewing. I'm your host, Deborah Mobies. I never actually met Sandra. And when I was pregnant with our second child, I started a company making children's clothes. I had a 1969 Singer sewing machine and weighs more than you and me put together. And it makes exactly two types of stitches, straight and zigzag. It did not have a buttonhole function. It did not have specialty stitches, but it was the most reliable and consistent machine I had ever owned. It was really a great machine. And the problem with it, it was the buttonholes that when left to my own devices, when I'm not using a buttonhole function on a machine, my buttonholes are decidedly mediocre. I know how to do it, but I don't like doing it. So add that to my perception that the shopping public was going to want interior seams to be finished off with an overlocker, with a serger, which I did not have. I made the choice that what I needed was a new sewing machine that was gonna make buttonholes and a serger that was going to professionally finish seams on the interior of these garments. Otherwise, I didn't see a way that I could make saleable, professional garments and, and start this little cottage industry that I had pictured in my head. I had a life insurance policy that my mother had purchased when I was little, and I called her and said, listen, is it okay if I cash this in and use it as seed money for this business? And she agreed a little bit reluctantly, I think, because, you know, life insurance policy like that. I think she intended it to be this gift for the long term. It was not a ton of money. 
It was enough to invest in good equipment. She agreed, and I did some searching. I read all the reviews. I did all the Googling. I looked around on the internet. I looked at, um, you know, it was sort of the dawn of the blogger era. Like, we're talking 2007-ish, 2006. Um, and I dug around uh, the few sewing blogs that were out there at the time and figured out what machine was going to meet my needs. And then I did what all frugal shoppers do or did in 2006. Um, and I went to eBay. I searched, I compared, I watched listings, um, and I finally found exactly the the sort of bundle purchase that I wanted. It was a Viking sewing machine with an embroidery attachment plus a Husky Lock serger. It was all one listing being sold by a man in South Carolina on behalf of his mother. It was exactly what I had decided I wanted. Um, so I started to play the eBay game of, you know, bid a little, wait a little. But by the time the listing was coming up to completion, it was pretty late at night. I knew I only had so much cash, right? Like the life insurance policy was worth a very specific amount of money. And that was my top bid. So, uh, you know, I finally said, this is dumb. I'm going to set my top bid. And if somebody outbids me, then that's that. I'm going to bid. When I woke up in the morning, I was the winner. There was only one other bidder. And that individual has no idea what they missed out on because I picked a cherry of an auction. Um, or so I thought until I saw the shipping costs. Now keep in mind this was more than 15 years ago and it was $188 to ship from South Carolina to Georgia, one state over. Uh, this is back when gas was cheap, cheap, cheap. So I did the math and to drive over and pick it up was going to cost me $14.50. So <laughs> obviously. Um, so I contacted the seller. And that's one of the nice things about eBay is that it, there's a human on the other end. It's not a corporation. Uh, I contacted the seller. I asked him, would you be willing to let me drive over and collect these sewing machines instead of you shipping them. And he jumped at it. Turns out he was not even remotely enthusiastic about packing up all this electronic equipment and shipping it to me. Um, he sounded like a lot of work. I, considering I have Christmas gifts that I bought 10 years ago and still have not mailed, I don't blame him. Um, so he told me when we spoke, I, I, we must have emailed, um, he told me he would, quote, throw in some other stuff as a thank you for saving him the tr trouble. So when I used to tell this story to my intro to sewing classes, um, I would always say that by the time he said those words, I was in the car, the little curly cord of the phone was dangling out the window while I was peeling out of the driveway. I was like, brother, let's find out what that other stuff is. I am on my way. So I get to South Carolina. I'm in a station wagon. I meet him at his storage unit. His mother, whose name was Sandra, Sandra, uh, was either no longer with us or she was in assisted living. I did not think it was polite to ask which. He had moved all of her belongings up from where she used to live in central Florida and put them in storage. She, he was gradually going through them. Um, so he not only had the machines and their attachments, uh, but he had a couple dozen embroidery programs back when they used to, like, it, what, there was no cloud then, right? Like, these were like CDs in plastic cases. He had a dozen cardboard boxes filled, filled with notions and books and patterns and thread and trims. There was a folding cutting table on casters that we strapped to the roof of my car with twine. Um, he, he loaded all of this into the back of my station wagon and I raced home. <laughs> 
because I genuinely thought part of him was going to say, oh, I've made a mistake. You can't have that after all. So I get home and I start unloading these boxes a little bit at a time. And it was like Christmas. <laughs> First, I got out the machines, obviously. Um, I plugged them both in. I made sure they both worked because we don't take those things for granted. Um, and then I started digging through these giant cardboard boxes, like big moving boxes, you know. Um, I noticed, I noticed pretty quickly that something was wrong. I had two machines, but I only had one foot pedal. And obviously they each came with their own. And then I had 400, and that is, I promise you, not an exaggeration. I had 400 spools of thread in clear acrylic boxes organized by color family. And I had exactly one bobbin. The bobbin that I did have had the color number written on the side in Sharpie. So obviously, like, it doesn't take a genius to figure out there are more bobbins. There's definitely another foot pedal. So I, I get in contact with the seller again, and I say, like, here's the thing. And he says, no problem. Obviously, there's another box in there. Give me a few days. I will find it. I will be in touch. And I started nibbling my nails. I don't think... I, I, someone else was telling this story. I would assume that the next punchline would be that they say, I never heard from the guy again. That is not what happened. Um, about a week later, he writes and says, good news, I found a couple more boxes. You can drive over and pick them up. If you want to drive over, I have this electronic lift sewing table that I can throw in for another 100 bucks. Um, and so, you know, same thing. I'm like, squealing out of the driveway. I'd never seen an electronic lift sewing table. <laughs> he, must have, he must have really sold it in that email because I was out the door. So I go back to South Carolina, I pick everything up, I come back. And when we got there, when I got to South Carolina to pick up this electronic lift sewing table, he had warned me ahead of time. He'd said, make sure your car is big enough. Do you have a pickup truck? And I was like, well, no, I have a station wagon, but it's pretty wide. So I measure the station wagon, uh, one centimeter too wide. I'm not even joking a little bit. We actually had to disassemble this table to get it in the back of my station wagon. Because keep in mind, my husband and I had come up with this plan that I was going to start this sewing business while I was largely pregnant. So at this point, I have a baby that, who's riding with me to South Carolina to pick these things up. Um, so we had to like, I can't drive home from another state with the hatch on the back of the car open. Uh, so we had to disassemble this table in order to get it into the car. So I drive back home. I have to reassemble this table, put it back together. There are storage drawers. If you haven't seen one, and I had not, an electronic lift sewing table is the kind that has a leaf that folds open, revealing a cutout the size of your sewing machine. And then there's the switch so that in the cutout, there, the platform on which the sewing machine sits goes and lowers down so you can put the leaf back over it and it just looks like a piece of furniture. And then when you're ready to sew, you open the leaf and you go and it raises the sewing machine up into this cutout opening and makes it level with the rest of it so you've got this bigger workspace. It's super fancy. I'd never seen one before, but now I was reassembling one in my basement. <laughs> so inside the drawers, because the sewing table is made to look like furniture, there's the foot pedal and buckets and buckets, buckets, bobbins. So then the question becomes, what is in all of these boxes? If that's not what was in the boxes. 
Sandra was in the boxes. Those boxes contained bits of her life and her passion and her personality. And I got to know her by going through them and reading the pieces like an archeologist. It was such a privilege to get to know her that way. She has legitimately been a blessing to my life, a blessing to our family. She has given me gifts that she never knew about. And as I'm going through these boxes, I learned three things. I mean, I'm sure I learned more than three things, but three really big things about her. One, Sandra did not have a day job. No one who had that much sewing paraphernalia and that many finished sewing projects as evidenced by the patterns she had made for herself and tucked into five by seven envelopes and labeled with a pattern type and a swatch of the fabric she used to stitch it up. No one achieving that level of completed projects is also working a full-time job. And I don't say that as a pejorative to people who work full-time jobs. I just mean, this wasn't just like Sandra had a hobby and she liked to collect a bunch of equipment for it. I mean, like Sandra was cranking out some stuff. She had dates on a lot of these things. So just sort of putting the pieces of data together, she was sewing all day. That was her gig. Um, she was clearly passionate. Her son told me she, quote, really loved it. The evidence absolutely supported that. The second thing I learned is that Sandra's husband really loved her. No one who doesn't work outside the home has that much paraphernalia unless they have a patron who adores them. Again, looking through the notes that Sandra kept of her sewing projects, she was making things for people she loved. She was making things for herself. Um, she was not selling this stuff. It wasn't a business, a money-making business. And, and so it's pretty obvious from what was there, the evidence that was there, that her husband loved that she loved to sew. And the electronic list sewing table still had the original price tag on it. When she got it, she paid $1,098, which is still, that seems like a huge amount of money to me for a sewing table. She had every sewing tool under the sun. Some of them I had never seen before in my life. She was a Swatch of the Month lifetime member. Her husband thought she was the bee's knees. And she must have gotten so much joy out of sewing. And that was the third thing that I learned about her. Sandra loved to sew. She made her own patterns. She stored them carefully. She used commercial patterns, but then she folded them neatly. I mean that alone. And stored them in manila envelopes with the original art taped to the front with a swatch from where she had sewed it up. Sandra dipped her toes into every sewing technique currently known to man, from clothing, to quilting, to smocking, to hand embroidery, to machine embroidery, to silk ribbon embroidery, cross-stitch, applique. She read voraciously about fabric properties and sewing techniques. Sandra was a powerhouse. Now, I will confess that Sandra's taste level and mine were not the same as I'm going through these boxes. Um, she was an older woman from Central Florida. Um, she and I did not wear the same size. We did not like the same colors. She really liked puce and country blue. Um, she made sweatshirts with three-dimensional flower vases out of silk ribbon. And if you were around in the late 80s, early 90s, I think there's probably a picture in your head that's very clear. Um, she did a lot of cross-stitch that featured little girls in bonnets pushing wheelbarrows. 
Uh, her swatches consisted um, disproportionately of polyester and fleece. She and I did not see eye to eye when it came to design aesthetics, right? But Sandra inspired me. She inspired me then, she inspires me now. She was so passionate. So bold. She cared so much. Um, she took sewing out of the realm of the utilitarian and into the realm of artistic. She, the evidence that was left behind, the bits and pieces that came out of these boxes, they don't just show that she dabbled, they show that she dove deep, that she really wanted to hone her skills and abilities. She was crafty. There were no fewer than three hot glue guns in various sizes in those boxes. But she was also an artist who was careful and she was so generous. She was a giver who made frequent presents for the children in her life. I certainly hope those children were grateful for her efforts. And um, she was detail-oriented. She had her own size labels printed up that she would put inside of her garments. She would sign her embroideries in thread. So I used to talk to Sandra, actually. I would sit <laughs> as I was unpacking these boxes, and I would say, um, now, Sandra, what is this? So I would talk to her as if she was there, even though she wasn't, because the sense of her came so strongly from those boxes. Um, or sometimes I would run into things because, again, when I started Whipstitch, sort of proto-Whipstitch, I was you know, making clothing to put in this cooperative boutique in Atlanta, um, I did not have any professional sewing experience, right? Like I had a theater degree and I had worked in the costume shop when I was an undergraduate and I had sewn for myself when I was in graduate school as a creative outlet and a stress reliever. You know, I'd learned to sew from my mom, but I, I didn't have professional experience. The internet did not have the resources that it has today for pattern making and designing. So I spent a lot of time talking to Sandra I would run into a roadblock and I would say, Sandra, what would you do here? You know, kind of ask her these questions. And what I loved about this woman who I never met was that she never judged me. She never laughed at me. She almost always had some book or resource or gadget or supplied berry in those boxes that would help me move my sewing from where it was to the next level. She was terrifically instrumental in making me the sewer I am today, opening my eyes to all the many, many ways needle and thread can be used to create beauty. So I started this business, which eventually, so I started out designing clothing to sell in this cooperative boutique. And then the owner of the boutique wanted someone who would teach classes. So I started teaching classes, which led me to want to develop a sewing lounge that I was going to name Whipstitch which led to me being offered a deal to write a book, a sewing book that became a bestseller. And so now I have the Whipstitch blog and I have my two subscription clubs, the Murder Mystery Quilt and the League of Dressmakers. All of that is the result of the fact that I bought this sewing machine off eBay all those years ago. All of that came together because of Sandra. And that was not, who could have planned that, right? So I wrote this story. I used to tell the story of Sandra all the time to my intro to sewing students. 
first they would come into the co-op and we had like this little storage room in the back where we would teach and then eventually I opened a sewing lounge on the west side of Atlanta and and we had thousands and thousands of students come through my intro to sewing class and every single one of them heard this story the story of Sandra and then so when I wrote stitch by stitch I dedicated stitch by stitch to Sandra as a way of saying like this one choice choosing this ebay auction changed my life um so i wrote about it on my blog at the time that stitch by stitch was released as a way of sharing the story that i tell to my students with readers so that they would understand like this is why the book is dedicated to sandra and i did not expect that i would get a note in the comments someone wrote and said um, thank you so much for sharing this amazing story. I love that you, actually a lot of people said, I love that you dedicated the book to her. I remember you telling us this story when I took your class. Thank you for sharing. And somebody along the way said, have you considered sending this to her son? Like, did you, don't you think, that's what, here, I just scrolled down and found the comment. It says, have you been able to get back in touch with her son and tell him this? I cannot imagine what it would mean to him. Um, but I thought, you know, that is a really nice idea. I'll take a link to this blog post that I've written, and I'll send it to the man who sold me these machines. Two days later, I get a comment on the blog from her son, whose name is David, and I'm going to read you that comment now. It's so good. <laughs> September 8th, 2010, David writes, Deborah, thanks for tracking me down today and sending me this link. I can't tell you how pleased I am my mother's sewing equipment ended up in the right hands. I put that whole package on eBay in hopes that selling the lot would help someone who really loved to sew. I see it worked. I thought about breaking it down and selling piecemeal, but something told me to keep it together. The fact that you made that drive to get the tons of other stuff was even better. You were right. My mother loved to sew. I can remember growing up, I could always find her in her sewing room, which was really just a tiny closet under the stairwell. I never knew a time when she didn't sew. It is also correct about her not working and having a loving husband. <sighs> you guys, I tear up. Dad met mom when I was just a year old and my brother was two. They married in 1964. Dad was willing to adopt two very difficult boys from her first marriage and make a home for us, and that's just what he did. They, hmm, whew, they absolutely adored each other for more than 40 years. Mom never worked outside the home while we were there. She sewed for extra money for many years after the nest was empty. She did actually work for the state of South Carolina full-time for about 10 years before retiring in 2000. That was her only full-time job that I ever knew about. My parents moved to Florida right after her retirement, and that's when Mom really ramped up her sewing passion. Down there, she had a much larger room to collect and organize the tools of her passion. My mother was always one to help others. Knowing mom, I would say you are quite correct about her giving guidance, even though you never knew her. My mother always worked things out in mysterious ways. Thanks, Deborah, for the dedication to my mother. She's no doubt smiling from the achievement you've done. What is truly remarkable is the timing of your email. I feel mom had something to do with that as well. She always did like a little flair. You see, today is the fourth anniversary of her death. Wow. How's that for goosebumps? You did it again, Mom. Signed, 
David A. Curtis Sr. You guys, I hardly even got through that, and it's not like it's the first time I've read it or told that story. Every comment after that on that particular post on my blog is people in tears, right? Um, I've had 10 years to get used to that story, and it never ceases to overwhelm me. The generosity that Sandra exhibited in her sewing, but also that she taught her son David, who shared it with me, inspires me every day to continue doing what I do through whip stitch with the goal of giving other people the opportunity to to love it as much as I do, right? Like there are lots and lots of reasons to sew, but doing it as a way to love yourself and love others is the best one. So thank you, Sandra. Thank you for all of it. Thank you, David. And thank you for listening. Have fun sewing. The Whip Stitch Podcast is recorded in Atlanta, Georgia, and available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Download and subscribe for future episodes. For show notes and transcripts, visit whipstitch.com. Thank you.